1 Corinthians chapter 15 on this Easter morning. We'll take one week hiatus from Luke chapter 18. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49, will be the subject of our reading this morning and of my preaching subsequently. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. But someone will say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks to you for your word, and we ask that you would help us For there are many voices that speak to us, especially around holidays like Christmas and Easter, days of celebration for the Christian church, the birth and resurrection of the Lord. Teach us, Lord, that the commercialization of these things is evil, is not a good thing. Remind us that the days for us as Christians, if they are to hold any significance for us, they are significant in that we contemplate the offering of the Lord of himself for us as sinners. That there is such significance bound up in these days that we may, inasmuch as our soul feeds upon the word of God, we may find a rich fountain of blessing for our weary souls. We pray, therefore, that you would cause to pour forth from our very heart this morning out of the riches of your word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, living waters. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we are very familiar with metamorphosis. 
We're very familiar with that process of metamorphosis, whereby a, a caterpillar goes into and, and creates around itself that silken cocoon, and out of which eventually, over a period of days, uh, and perhaps even weeks or months, will eventually new life will will come forth, new life in the form of uh, of a caterpillar. Uh, um, well, uh, caterpillar two, a butterfly. Uh, and, of course, or a moth. And we're familiar with that process. We're familiar with the process of seeds being sown in soil. If you take a seed which seems to have little or no life in it, place it into the soil, apply sunlight, water, and warmth, it will spring forth in new life. It's a glorious thing that God does. But when we think about the resurrection, we think about from the, the dead being animated out of that deadness and becoming alive is something that we are not familiar with. We, we are familiar in a sense. We, we've, we've seen dead bodies, some of us have, uh, that were on gurneys and that were brought back to life by virtue of uh, the ministration of medical help and, and, and paddles and electrical jolts and things like that, med- medical intervention. But, but for something that is actually readably and for a period of time dead, to be brought to life is something beyond our imagination or our understanding. And it's something that no one has really observed either, except for very specific crowds uh, when Christ brought Lazarus back from the dead. And I think in an infinitesimal way, in, in Christ's miracles of changing various things out of the substance that they were into something altogether different, and or his healing from a condition that was that was unbreakable and unhealable into something that was now vital and vibrant and alive. Those are the only places in the Gospels where we see this miracle of death being brought and created and made into what is alive and vibrant and new. We see it in the gift of salvation when someone who is lost and dead in their trespasses and sins, unable to believe, unknowing, without any grasp whatsoever of the gospel, all of a sudden one day coming to faith and life in Christ and for things which did not make sense now being making sense is, yes, a, 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 a kind of resurrection. It's what Jesus spoke of when he spoke to Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. You see, it's, it's 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 a truth it's a truth that we all will endure one birth and one death but there is also a second birth and a second death that not all of us will experience but all of us will experience one of those things so for the person who is born one time we must be born again and for the person that is born one time and who refuses to be born again will experience that second death Because we all die physically, but there is a second death for all who refuse Christ. Being committed eternally into the eternal fire of hell. Beyond those things, we observe nothing even remotely 
similar to resurrection of the body, a physical and real, actual, visible resurrection of the body from the dead. I, I know there are many accounts of individuals who have said, you know, I went to heaven and I came back. I, to be frank, I don't believe a single one. I really don't believe any of them. I think they're extraordinary stories. I think our minds are capable of incredible imagination. I think as a lot of these stories are examined, a lot of these, especially children, are, 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 have been coached by moms and dads. And we can all describe a light, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, 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 that the silver cord is snapped and we have ascended to the Lord and into his presence. I think you will absolutely know it when you stand before the resplendent majesty of Jesus Christ. You will not have some wonderment as to who who it might be. You will not just hear an opaque sort of distant muffled voice. You will behold, you will behold the glory of the everlasting God. And you will not wish to come back. So what do we make of resurrection as we meander our way into this conversation, or at least as I do? What do we make of resurrection? Well, there are many different resurrection uh, understandings. Uh, If you are a Muslim, uh, there is a belief that your body will go to the grave. And there in the grave, you will be visited by two angels who will assess as to whether or not you will rest peacefully in the grave or whether you will not rest peacefully and be punished deeply physically in the grave. I don't know how one sits up when one's body is completely decomposed. I don't know how angels will have conversations with individuals in the grave. I don't know where this has come from beyond the Quran, but there is no physical reason for believing and trusting that that is in fact the course of how life is preserved and how the life is resurrected. There is only a a, a resurrection in the end for all. After and when God brings, or Allah brings all things to a final consummation. That is not so for believers. We believe that when we die, the soul ascends to God, the body goes to the grave and awaits the resurrection where body and soul will be united in the power of Christ. Buddhists believe that death does not mark the end of life, but rather there is a passage into the next world, and there are infinite spokes of that life until one eventually, after life and birth and death and life and birth and death and countless cycles of the same, finally one gains enlightenment. What happens after that, no one knows. The Buddha taught that where and how rebirth is one experiences rebirth is entirely is entirely brought about by the accumulated karma of a good life. You see, merit. In both instances, it comes down to merit. Hindus believe that the soul is reincarnated, can be reincarnated as anything, and if you're reincarnated into a humble form, it's because you have not accumulated enough good deeds. But if you really want to be reincarnated into a higher life form, you have to accumulate good deeds. Do you get this theme? Good deeds, good deeds, good deeds. In the Roman Catholic mindset, 
the soul will at the end of one's life go to heaven, hell, or purgatory. Purgatory is not in any way a biblical word, nor it is a biblical state. There is no intermediate state for anyone other than to depart from this world and to be in the presence of Christ or to go immediately to hell. The summary of one's life is, in fact, summarized completely in that last day. There is no additional, uh, there are no additional prayers, there are no additional there is no additional righteousness. There is no additional accumulation of, of virtue or good works or deeds. Passing from one, uh, pardon me, the, the soul will then go to heaven, purgatory or hell, and depending on whether their actions have been judged as being in accordance with God's teachings or not, they will either eventually enter into heaven or eventually in, enter into hell. The atheist says this in the statement of one humanist, I have always felt that when I die, I am dead and gone. My conscious life will end. My interactions with others will end and I will be simply gone. My afterlife will be in the memories of those I know. The consciousness, I don't know where it comes from, but I expect that it will end those who love me, those who carry me in their hearts. Beyond that, I myself will cease to, cease to exist. Liberal Christians take passages like this in 1 Corinthians, and they'll take every passage that in any way speaks of the resurrection, and they'll say there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection. Humanistic elimination of everything supernatural. The resurrection is not a bodily future resurrection, but a spiritual one in which Christ comes to live within us. Now, Christ does live within us, and it's true, but it falls short. This is what Jesus said, and, and that's what we ultimately need to adhere to. Very truly, I tell you, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, 24 and following, whoever hears my word and believes him, think about the simplicity of what Jesus Christ has said here. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. There's no further qualification. There's no further expectation. There's no other requirement. Whoever believes me or him who sent me, hears my word, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. If you're in Christ today, you have already crossed over from death to life. You have already experienced the second birth. You're already born again. And there is no way, no how, that you will ever miss out on eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no one can snatch you out of his hands. His power will keep you. And because what he gives, he does not take back. And you cannot corrupt the gift of grace that he has given to you. Yes, we can, we can neglect to do the things which we ought to do. Yes, we can bring harm to our physical bodies by the embrace of sin. Yes, we can grieve and wound the Holy Spirit. We can grieve and wound our, our relationship with God. But what has been given to us, as Paul says in Philippians, is incorruptible, kept in heaven for you. Thanks be to God, because I would corrupt it. I could not keep it. That's why God keeps us and keep, has kept me. 
Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There's really nothing more that we need to take in. There's very very little qualification or equivocation that we should not engage in at all. And God help those liberal Christians who would embrace a a non-spiritual resurrection, a non-physical resurrection, a resurrection that is not real. Ultimately, you're rejecting the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been in this, or Paul has been explaining the words of Christ in, in this wonderful account in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it, if you know various chapters of the Bible, this is one that speaks of the resurrection. Chapter 11 is about the Lord's Supper. Chapter 13 is the chapter on love. And chapter 15 is the chapter on resurrection. It's not the only place in the Bible that speaks of the resurrection, though. Head to 1 Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians. Go to go to go to John's Gospel and hear Jesus speak the words, "I am the resurrection and the life." Go to John chapter five, where Jesus and we've just read it speaks of the actual events of the dead being lifted from the grave. And remember that Jesus just said, "Don't be amazed. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice." I know in our natural mindset, because we've never observed it, and we want to we want to reason over things, we want to see things, but faith calls forth belief and trust in what Jesus says. And what the Word of God declares and what Jesus, the living word, the Logos, has said is don't be amazed at this, because this will happen. Perhaps he understands that our amazement can actually be a a handicap to faith. Because if we are so amazed that we simply cannot take it in, in a way that is dubious, in a way that is distrusting, we'll miss out on the reality that, yes, Christ has declared it to be so. The day will come when every single body will be lifted from the grave. Whether in the deepest portions of the Atlantic Ocean or down under the deepest snows of the mountains in Tibet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the bodies are. The Lord Jesus knows those who are his. Isn't it true that Jesus, that God spoke and uh, drew up dirt and dust from the ground, and then God breathed life into Adam, didn't he? Don't you think God can... Gather from the dust your accumulated or your dispersed matter. Can't he bring from the dust of the ground all those various aspects of your body or all the the, 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 the molecules and the minuscule pieces of you what's left when he comes? Of course he can. Well, Paul has been dealing in this entire chapter with errors that have been brought because there is a skeptic spirit in the church in Corinth. And they have a Greek mindset. The Greeks looked at the body and said, this idea of resurrection of the body is spurious. It's it's not an attractive thing. Because in the Greek mindset that prevailed in the Greco-Roman world of that time, 
In the Greek mindset, the body was a prison for the soul. And what one really needed was to die and for the body to be, uh, to be broken down and the soul freed to achieve its absolute spiritual state to be freed from the ravages of the body and of sickness and the necessity of food and the prison of the physical body. And for whatever reason, the church in Corinth was hearing things that contradicted the resurrection and the promise of the resurrection, and they were a little dubious. They didn't quite believe in the resurrection. They were struggling with it, at least. And Paul writes to them, and he gives an account in verses 1 through 11. I made known to you, brother, he's reminding them. I've already told you the gospel that I preached to you, which you also received and in which you also stand, by which you are saved. He's saying, this resurrection hope it is so, is so, in, in, uh, so jo- enjoined to your salvation that if you don't believe in the resurrection of the body, you're not saved. You don't have gospel life. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You can't have one without all three. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised. His being raised is the the affirmation of God the Father of His acceptance of the Son. His affirmation of the power of the Son and of the offering of the Son of giving Himself for dead sinners. It's it's a recognition of the victory of Christ over sin and of death and the curse of sin, which is death. He goes on, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles. And he goes on. You see, there, are, there is an undisputable record of eyewitnesses. Throughout the rest of the chapter, the Apostle Paul, in the interests of time, will say much, much more about dealing with errors that have come up, and he states logical fallacies and deficiencies that are countered in his biblical arguments, and and uh, he makes the, the argument that if there is no bodily resurrection, then Christ wasn't raised, and neither will anyone else be raised. And so the conclusion is and found, I think, in verse 32 of our present chapter. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If you don't believe in the resurrection, give it up, walk away, because it's not important. Christ is meaningless. Your faith is meaningless. Don't keep giving yourself anymore to Sunday morning worship. In other words, if you don't believe in the resurrection, there's no point in being a Christian. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you are most likely not a Christian. You certainly can't be long-term. Refusal of a bodily resurrection is a refusal of Jesus Christ and his own resurrection. It's unbelief. It's, it's a refusal of, of the, the word of God and of the eyewitness of, of the scriptures. 
Well, in this section this morning, he brings to us three things, and it's, it reads almost like a panel discussion with questions even. Counsel is given to us concerning the resurrection of our bodies from the grave and how Christ's resurrection benefits us. If you have any question about the previous sections of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses uh, 34 and, and all that is prior, you can go back to last year's Easter sermon where we preached on that passage, but my intention is to follow up with that this morning. And there are three things here. Resurrection in the creation. Resurrection in the creation is our first consideration. Now, Paul is answering the question, how are the dead raised? And with what body are they raised? And he makes an appeal to the, to the creation. Resurrection in the creation. With what kind of body do they come? That's the kind of question, that's the question that the Corinthian church has sent through an individual who has come to Paul with a series of questions written down on a piece of paper and has said to Paul, look, can you answer these questions for us? And he's writing this pastoral letter, answering those questions for them. Or they have been brought to him verbally, and so these are questions that uh, the Apostle Paul is seeking to answer explicitly. They have been communicated to him, and he's answering directly. This is kind of an interesting question. With what kind of body do those who are resurrected come? It's like one of those how how many angels fit onto the head of a pin question. Kind of a moronic question. In the sense that here are these people and they've been told that Christ was raised from the dead, that all the eyewitnesses saw him and so they recognize that he came in a bodily form. But they're asking this question, Well, with what kind of body will we be raised? Well, similarly to Christ is the obvious answer. It's it's a foolish question. It's a vain, speculative, and, and an ignorant question. It's a question from absurdity. If Christ was raised and people recognized him, we'll be raised similarly. Well, the foolishness is not in his belief. So Paul points to their foolishness. He's replying to skeptics, really. But we might, we might say, well, there, there's some sense in the question. Bodies are scattered everywhere throughout the world and the seas, and, and, and the physical par- portions of our bodies may be dispersed throughout, throughout the soil, throughout the air, throughout the sea. Jesus, his body was resurrected, and he was only in the grave for three days, so his body did not completely decompose. What about when we, who have been in the grave for hundreds of years, If that is in fact the case, if it so pleases the Lord, when Christ comes again, what will happen to us? How will our bodies be reconstituted? And Paul says, well, let's appeal to creation. And an agrarian society of Paul's day would understand this principle. You plant a seed and it yields that fruit after its own kind. You don't plant a a kernel from, from an avocado and get a long line of of green beans. You don't do that. It simply doesn't happen. If you plant an avocado seed, it it will produce an avocado tree. If you plant a bean seed, you'll get beans. You won't get lettuce. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, when your body is committed to the earth, eventually when God calls forth your body and resurrects you on the great day when Christ comes in judgment, Your body will come up from the grave. The same God who breathed life into dust and made Adam will cause your body to be reconstituted from the molecules which he created and which are under his sovereign, sovereign control. 
God will not lose a piece of you. God will reconstitute you body and soul in the last great day of resurrection. Maybe we have a hard time believing that. But haven't we seen the power of God in bringing the dead to life? Don't we see it? Haven't we experienced that? If we have life in Christ, if we're saved from our sins, we know what the power of Christ is like. We're just saying about it. Christ's miracles. What did he do? He brought life from dead and inanimate things. He he changed the entire constitution of what things were. He turned water, not into grape juice or something else. He turned water into wine, something altogether different. He took a man who was born blind and he healed his eyes such that he could see. Inoperative, dead, unworking, non-working eyes and he made them work. He took deaf man's ears and he unstopped them and made him able to hear. He, 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 he made people who were unable to speak, able to speak, now verbal. He made the lame who were lame from, who had never walked a day in their lives, he made them to walk and leap for joy. He, he healed leprous people who had dead and, and inanimate flesh that was simply hanging on but could not be motivated or moved nor healed. And he made them whole in flesh and pink and full and uh, and filled with blood and capillaries and uh, and and with working nerves that's what Jesus does and he brought Lazarus his dead stinking body from the grave and he did it with a word Lazarus come forth nothing more extraordinary than his voice doesn't it hasn't it occurred to us that that the tiniest, most infinitesimal molecule on the face of the earth obeys precisely and immediately the voice of its creator. And everything that makes you up as an individual will obey the voice of Christ in the last great day and you will be raised physically, bodily. Christ is about the business. God is about the business of bringing life from dead things. Thanks be to God. Well, in our same chapter in verse 52, it says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's a a fearful concern here in this passage over what is not understood and of the difference between our present existence bodily and what is unknown. And we do have that present fear in ourselves. How easy is it for us to embrace the idea of being physically resurrected from the grave when our body is decomposed? It's not something we are familiar with. It's strange. It's unusual. It's bizarre, to be honest. But it's true. It's spectacularly true. And some of us have perhaps a fearful skepticism because of weakening faith or lethargicness in our, in our spiritual life. And, and maybe we've been unwatching and we have been not been examining closely and being encouraged and encouraging one another with these words. 
Some of us perhaps have had a negligent failure to foster and build up this hope in the resurrection of our bodies one day. And we have invested everything in our physical bodies. How are you doing? Are you reaping what you sow in your physical body? Are you finding that as you've poured into your self-existence, your physical existence, at the neglect of your soul, and as you've poured into your physical satisfaction and entertainment, is your soul full? We are tired and we are weary in our physical existence, many of us. In the physical decline of our flesh and of our minds, some of us are simply wounded. It's hard to imagine that there is something better for us. Hard to imagine that there is something better reserved in heaven for us and that this physical body will rise glorified and prepared for an eternal existence. Some of us, our hope is just beaten down. But there is a glorious future for you, dear friend. For all who have faith in Christ, there is a glorious future that awaits every believer after the seed of our bodies sinks to the grave and is sown perishable, and it will rise in Christ imperishable, glorified, because Jesus Christ died and was buried and is rose again. Well, the Apostle Paul continues the argument that there are different bodies for different environments and animals, birds and fish and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies and astrophysical bodies. And there are environments that are fitting for all of them. You with your physical body cannot rise up into outer space without a lack of, well, without dying, (laughs) freezing in your body. It's awfully cold. You will lack the necessary other Uh, a chemical makeup of the air that we breathe as well as other things that our bodies thrive on. God has created denizens for their places of dwelling and environment. And maybe you're wondering, I don't see how physically I can be fit and prepared for a spiritual dwelling, an everlasting dwelling in the presence of Christ. I don't see how my body as presently composed can exist there. And the promise of the passage is simply that he who will raise the dead will make certain that you are precisely fit for glory. Your body will not be broken. Your body will not be weak. Your body will not be frail. You will not be capable of sin. You will no longer be able to sin. Your mind will be freed completely from every other encumbering or every other encumbrance and sin, so that you can fully, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, love, rejoice in, and worship the resurrected Christ. You will be fit perfectly for the environment of heaven. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to those who have said, well, with what kind of body will I be raised? The Apostle Paul is is saying there is an appropriate body for those who are citizens in heaven. You will have that body and it will be perfectly fit for what God has prepared for you. As you have observed in the world that he has created now, there is similarity, but there will be a precise fitting to appropriate environments 
And the difference you will see in the next section. The second thing we see in this passage is the resurrection in the spiritual. We've looked at the resurrection in creation, but also the resurrection in the spiritual. There is a precise fitting to appropriate environments. And with the changing environment of eternal existence and heavenly dwelling and life within the spiritual realm, God will make provision for you just exactly as, you, as, as it is needed. And there, the natural and the spiritual body are set in contrast, are they not? The natural body, Paul tells us here in this passage, is uh, we are able to breathe and eat and make observation and speak and love and worship, but it's perishable. And it's dishonorable. And it's weak. And it's a natural body, not a supernatural body. It's frail. It's prone to sickness. It's prone to human error in, 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 in surgeries. It's prone to tiredness. It has limitations. It's prone to besetting illness. It's aging. It's hurting. And sometimes almost even to the point of despairing. But there is a spiritual body that awaits you that God will fit perfectly for you. It is the same body that you will be res- that you- that is put in the grave, but it will be raised imperishable. We are told in the passage, fitted specifically for an eternal and spiritual realm. It's similar, but fitted for breathing heavenly air. F- similar, but fitted for eating heavenly food. It's 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 similar, but it's fitted for for heavenly worship. Imperishable, glorious. Powerful, spiritual. Those are the descriptives descriptives that the Apostle Paul uses. And he actually says, we will be like him. Raised in power and in the inexhaustible vitality of, of our risen Savior. His inexhaustible and His indestructible life animating our resurrected bodies so that we will be like Him, we will be with Him, and we will be fitted perfectly for Him. And to live for Him. We will be transformed perfectly for the heavenly realm. Thirdly and finally, resurrection in the creation, resurrection in the spiritual, and resurrection in our redemption in Christ Jesus. There are two representatives of humanity, Adam, the first man, and Jesus, the greater man, the greatest man. Two representatives of humanity, humanity in general and and that of redeemed humanity. The first Adam, made from the dust of the ground, breathed life by the breath of God into him, who fell from his state of innocence and cast all humanity into sin and made all subject to the wrath of God and the curse of God against sin. The second Adam, the eternal Son of God, obeyed the will of God perfectly Enabling the new birth, redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord for all who believe. All who are in Christ, even though they now bear the first Adam's resemblance in the flesh, 
We will one day be like the resurrected Savior in glory. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and all who believe in Him will rise to eternal life appropriately, perfectly fitted for glory. Are you prepared for that great day? Are you prepared for that glad day when Jesus Christ will come again? And your body... Will rise from the grave if in fact he comes in some subsequent period of time after you have lived and your body has gone into the grave as a seed. If not, and Christ comes in our lifetime, and of course Christ can come at any moment, are you prepared to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to stand before him? Is there have you experienced the new birth such that you will not experience the second death. Are you looking unto Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And do you believe that Christ is raised from the dead? And that even now, He is not dead nor in the grave, but He lives. Do you believe? Can you sing that Christ Jesus lives today? He walks with me and He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, indeed. He lives indeed. Let's pray. Oh Lord, many might ask, how would we know that Christ lives? And we know that Christ is alive, was raised by his own power and word. He ascended, he was received, he was accepted. And we know this because he, we live and move and have our being in him. We know this because when we have devotions and when we pray, there are sweet, bright, and happy moments when we know and we feel the Savior with us. There are many moments in the course of our lives when in the midst of trouble or trials, the quiet presence of Christ is all that we feel And it is enough. We know because we see Christ in one another. And when we each care for one another, and we pray for one another, and we we speak words of comfort and of encouragement to each other, we see Christ. We know Christ is raised because when we are in our greatest need, we find it to be absolutely true, a continuing principle that Christ always provides for his people. And he proves himself to be both the prophet, the priest, and a great and providing and powerfully overruling king. Oh Lord, we pray that you would grant new life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. We pray that you would grant new life to those who have trusted in something more or something other than just in Christ and his righteousness. We pray that if any are listening today and watching on YouTube today and they don't know what it is to experience new life in Christ, I pray that you would cause them to be reborn through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that they would experience even now in their soul a renewal of life such that they 
did not know that they were dead before and lost in their trespasses and sins, but but now they realize and they have come to know that there is life in Christ and their souls have been dead, but he has made them alive. We pray that you would convert them and redeem them, revive them and renew them after your will. We pray that you would awaken us from our own self-imposed stupor wrought through laziness, neglect. Teach us, O God, that our soul is to be our highest aim in its health and value and virtue and entertainment in Christ Jesus. Teach us that we have been so satisfied with the things of this world that we have neglected our soul. Show us the worth and the value of knowing Christ. Show us how wonderful it is to be to have life in Christ. And teach us what it is to live in the resurrection hope. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our last hymn found in your insert in your bulletin. Pardon me, before we do that, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward as we celebrate the Lord's Supper on this day. Our elders and elder intern. Josh was more in tune with the course of worship service than I was. I'm told that I have to remember that we are not making a special collection after the supper this morning. We did that two weeks ago, so... If I forget, just remind me. But it's, it's the day of resurrection. It's the day we celebrate that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so it is appropriate for us to feed together in faith upon this, this memorial, upon, upon this means of grace, and to have our, our faith encouraged and to, to, to feast upon, uh, by faith, the body and blood of the Lord. We pray and we will ask in a moment in prayer that the Lord would be present with us and in these elements. We do not believe that the body of Christ is actually present or when it, when I lift up and, and pray over these things that they are changed substance, substance, in, in, or substantially. Rather, this is bread and this is wine and this is grape juice and these are given to us. And this, the, 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 the risen Christ is spiritually present in the supper, such that if we have faith in Christ, we may feed upon these ordinary elements and our faith can be encouraged in Christ and we can actually receive grace upon grace as the Holy Spirit grants to us a greater measure of Christ and of the knowledge of Christ as we increase in our understanding of Christ and of his offering and sacrifice for us. We invite you to the supper this morning. If there is, uh, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in Him alone for your salvation, and as long as there is not some known and malicious and continuing embrace of sin in your life, as long as there is not a continuing pattern of sin for which you have not repented and you have not yet been willing to come to Christ and repent of. If your faith is in Christ and you are in right relationship with the church of Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the Lord's Supper this morning. But if you are, if, if those things are true of you that I've just stated, if there is no malicious and practiced sin, 
if there is a continuing pattern of sin in your life and you've not repented of it, abstain from the Lord's Supper. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Experience that second birth and see what it is to walk in newness of life. Be reconciled first to your God and then enjoy the fruits of that reconciliation and receive grace upon grace. The Lord Jesus Christ in the night in which he was betrayed gave to his disciples bread and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's pray together oh lord these common elements lord they are wine they are juice and bread these have been given to, by you to us for our spiritual nourishment that we may this morning think upon Jesus Christ, dwell for a moment in the heavenly realm, considering who we are in Christ, that by virtue of Christ's being in heaven, we being bound to him are in union with him who sits at your right hand. Teach us that we cannot be snatched from his hand or yours. Teach us that Christ is our life. Show us that the resurrection hope is our only hope and in life and in death. That we belong to him. That we belong to you. Show us the emptiness of our resources. Show us the emptiness of our full bank accounts. Show us the emptiness of all the goals that we are trying to reach in this world. And then show us the matchless worth of Jesus Christ. Show us that knowing Christ is a far greater benefit, and a being with the Lord is far better than anything else in this world or that this world could ever afford. Teach us, Lord, that fast cars and great big boats and beautiful homes and wonderful experiences and far traveling and lots of money cannot compare with knowing Jesus Christ. Teach us that Jesus Christ is of far greater worth. Teach us that Christ is one worthy of all the love, adoration, and affection of our very heart. Teach us that Jesus Christ is worthy. Show us that Christ is glorious. Show us the beauty of Christ anew this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are pledge and foretaste of the feast of love, of which we will partake when Christ and his kingdom that will come fully. And with unveiled face we shall behold him face to face, made like him in all of his glory. Since by his death and his resurrection and the ascension Christ has obtained for us all, the life-giving spirit who unites us all in one body, so we are to receive this supper in full fellowship, in true love, mindful of the communion of saints, contemplating the unity of the brethren as we partake together of this common meal. Don't partake of it in a sea on an island all by yourself. Partake conscious of, partake in a way that is conscious of others who are partaking with you. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters as you partake together in common faith. Ask the Lord that your faith might increase, but also ask the Lord that his faith and her faith and their faith might increase, that each of you would increase in your love for each other, that he would bind you and me together more and more as the body of Lord, our Heavenly Father, we're reminded in the Gospel that after Jesus was raised, we remember Thomas, Lord, who uh, was skeptical and said that he would not believe that you had been raised unless he touched the wound in your side, Lord. And Lord, when he did, you said that he believed because he saw, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And today, Lord, here we are. We thank you, Lord God, that you have granted us faith. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray that you would help us to cry out like Thomas did, Lord, saying, My Lord and my God. And we would be grateful and thankful, Lord, just as surely as we see this, this cup here today, this wine, that it would remind us that Christ's blood has washed us free from sin. We thank you for it, Lord Jesus.
The Lord Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink all of it. And dear friends, as we've partaken together of the Lord's Supper this morning, I, I encourage you in Christ to contemplate. Think with me today on this day of what Christ means to you and what he has done for you. Don't let your family celebrations be over, overshadowed uh, by all sorts of other commercial interests, but bring Christ into your home. Bring Christ with you back into your home. Whether even in your heart, let others see the light of Christ shining in you this day as we leave this supper together and as we rejoice in the Lord. Let's stand together and sing that.